He will leave the 99. You know, and um, every time that I think about that verse in, in, the, in the Gospels or every time we sing that song, just reminded of that truth. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about the fact that in the day-to-day of our lives, that we can become so entrapped, we can become so busy with the things going on that it can hinder our growth, it can hinder our, our, our understanding, it'll hinder our appreciation of what God has done for us, and that we can acknowledge and recognize that I, we can be so thankful that God wasn't so busy that he didn't save us. That in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our sin, that God leaned into creation and he gave his only begotten son to bear the weight of our sin on the cross church and there's no greater truth than that and that's what we celebrate this morning and so I want us to read this text together and then we'll pray and ask God to speak to us through what he has but we're going to start in Luke chapter 9 and we're going to read verses 57 down to 62 I'll give you a second to turn there and we'll read together Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says this. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said in response, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask you this morning to speak to us through your word. God, we all come into this place this morning with burdens. God, we come in with pride. God, we come in with so much junk and mess. Father, I just pray at this very moment we would lay all those things down. God, we would lay all the stuff down before you. God, even ourselves and our pride. God, allow us to hear from you. God, challenge us. Lord, convict us. God, show us the places where we've become too busy for you. Father God, allow us to be shown who you are and what you intend to do in our lives. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church, I've titled this this morning, Bound by Busyness, because I think the reality of our lives is if we'll truly acknowledge it, there is so much junk going on in our lives that that we if you're anything like me, and maybe I'm the only one, uh, but we spend most of our time feeling like we're playing catch-up, right? We feel like we're trying to catch up to life. We're trying to catch up to time. We're trying to catch up to our, our goals. We're trying to catch up to uh, the things that we intend to do day after day after day, getting one kid to this, one kid to that, getting uh, our work done, uh, getting to the places we need to be. Even this morning, you were probably playing catch-up to get dressed, to get here before 9 o'clock. Hey, listen, that's why we offer a little buffer, give you about five minutes extra, because we know everybody shows up right on time, and hey, that's all good. We'll make We'll make room for that. 
But this morning, what I want us to see, you know, most of your Bibles, if it has a, a text or a subtitle above this section of Scripture, it probably says something along the lines of the cost of following Jesus. You know, and I think the reality of my life, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, the reality of our own lives is the thing that's keeping us from truly following Jesus and truly experiencing any kind of meaningful relationship with him, getting deeper, growing more in our relationship to a holy and loving God is our busyness. And when I speak of busyness, I'm not only speaking of the physical busyness of the things that we're doing, but even mental busyness, that we have so much crammed into our minds that we're thinking about, uh, that we're navigating through, that we're trying to figure out, that there is no room for the Lord in our hearts. There's no room for what he has for us. There's no room for what he's trying to do for us and in us. And listen, I am uh, culprit number one speaking here to you this morning, that I find myself so just in my head, just busy with the things of the day-to-day mentally, even thinking about things I can't even, I don't even have any control over, but they are robbing me. They are costing me my discipleship with the Lord. They are costing me my relationship with the Lord. And I think as we see from this text, we will see so much about what God is speaking into that very idea. Because as this is kind of a call to discipleship, a call to following, I believe that the greatest enemy of our discipleship is our busyness. I believe the greatest enemy to our growth in the Lord is our, the busyness of our day-to-day life. You know, and what we'll see this morning is we'll see that the things that we do aren't all bad, but it's in how we enter into those things. It's how we allow those things to affect us and how we navigate through those things in our day-to-day. So leading up to this text, uh, Jesus has done a lot of things. Jesus has done a lot of uh, miracles. Jesus has done a lot of things that would kind of be the flashy things of the Bible that were a lot of things that people would have saw and been like, that's awesome. I want to be a part of that. You know, leading up to this, it would not have been hard to follow Jesus because they saw the things that he, were, what he was doing, and it was great things for people. Uh, you know, uh, starting off in Matthew 8, and I'm starting in Matthew because remember, Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all the same story, just from different perspectives. So sometimes we can jump to another part of the gospel to help fill in the blanks of a different part. And so we're in Matthew 8, and what we see is that Jesus, as he's taught extensively on what it means to be a, in a kingdom citizen. Remember the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Five through seven is all the Sermon on the Mountain. So Jesus has just been pouring out this truth, this awesome radical truth. And then uh, right after that, he's cleansed the leper. He's healed a paralyzed servant. He healed Peter's mother-in-law and many other sick who are brought to him. So Jesus has done all kinds of really awesome things that would be super easy to be on board with. You know, but what we see this morning... And what I appreciate so much about Jesus is that in speaking the reality of what it meant to follow him, what it really meant to be a follower of God, is that Jesus was not afraid to thin out the crowd. Jesus was not afraid to, in light of all the flashy things that he had done, all the things that were just very easy to get on board with, Jesus was not afraid to say one statement that would cause everybody to scatter, to say, no, I can't do that. No, I'm not about that. And so coming into Luke chapter 9, that's what Jesus begins to do. He says, you know, they're all seeing all the great things that Jesus is doing. They're seeing all these healings, and he's he's providing all these services, and he's teaching. He's doing all this. And so people are gathered around, but then Jesus begins to really help them understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. You know, and he, he brings down, and he's trying to help them understand some things. And what he's going to see and what we'll see from this is that 
their busyness is robbing them of the reality of what God really has for them. You know, in, the, in our minds, in our motives, in our moments that are, that are being consumed by lesser things, that are being consumed by things that are drawing us away from truly just fixing our heart and our eyes on what God's got for us, that Jesus is speaking right into that, that I really believe what we'll see this morning, and I hope if you don't take anything away, it's this, that Jesus makes it clear that unbridled busyness is an enemy of discipleship. Unbridled busyness is an enemy of discipleship. That when our busyness rules us, when our busyness runs us, it's going to rule us and run us right away from what God has got for us. You know, because what, and, and what's beautiful about this is that what we'll see is that Jesus was busy. Jesus was busy. But Jesus was only busy with the things he was supposed to be doing. And I hope that that's what we can learn from a little bit here this morning. So there's three things that I want us to lean into this morning and hope that we'll learn from in this text to see what it means to be uh, bound by busyness and how to overcome that. And the first way that I think that we see in this text that we are bound by busyness is that we uh, can be busy with our comforts, busy with our comforts. Verse uh, 57 to 58, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so what we have to understand, remember, we can use other gospels to help fill in the the gaps of what's really going on here. And so Luke chapter 9 doesn't tell us who this person is. It just says someone. Well, Matthew chapter 8 tells us that this someone was a scribe. A scribe is someone who knew the law. A scribe is someone who everybody liked and everybody went to because they knew everything about everything. And so this person was highly esteemed. This person was liked by everybody. And, and we can even see that in Matthew chapter 20. It kind of tells us a little bit about what the life of a scribe is like. And he says in verse uh, Matthew 20, verse 46, he says that they walk around in long robes, which would show some sense of honor, that they loved greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast. They enjoyed a life of luxury. They enjoyed a life of honor. They enjoyed a life of acceptance. They enjoyed a very comfortable life and I love it how for this individual making this claim hey I'll follow you anywhere I'll follow you you're going I love what you're doing I want to be a part of that and I love how Jesus speaks directly into this individual's life knowing you know and we we know that God is uh, all-knowing so God Jesus in this moment he knows he knows the life that this man has lived and he knows the life that this man wants to live a very comfortable life and Jesus speaks right into that He says, listen, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You want comforts? Following me, there will be no comforts. Not the kind of comforts you're after. Not the kind of honor that you're after. Not the kind of luxuries that you're after. You know, Jesus very easily could have said, yeah, come on. Like, well, you'll figure it out as we go. But I love that, that, that Jesus is not about, Jesus is not about placating the crowds for numbers. Jesus is not about just filling seats in a room. Jesus isn't about telling you that you can live your best life now, so if you'll just come, everything will be great. No, Jesus says, following me will be hard. Following me, you will not have the comforts or the luxury or the honor that you have now. So know that. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, he says, He was in the world, talking about Jesus, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. You know, we can be so consumed by comfort that we forget or neglect to acknowledge that the Christian life is one of sacrifice, submission, and oppression. The Christian life is not supposed to be easy. Us here in the West, we are so spoiled to what it means to live a Christian life. You know, we, we gripe and complain about the fact that anybody would ever remotely tell us that we can't gather into this building. Thank God we still have the ability to, but you know there are people all over the world right now that are hiding out in the woods in the darkness in the middle of the night because if anyone catches them even remotely talking about the God that we serve, they will either be put in prison for the rest of their life or they'll be dead. But we, we complain about this or that that remotely dictates what we do. Church, we take for granted our freedom. You know, because Jesus made it very clear, even in John 15, verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, know this, that it first hated me. He says right after that, he says, if you were of the world, it would love you as its own. Church, if we're ever comfortable in this world, it's because the world has made us its own. If we're ever comfortable in this world, it's because we've settled into something that is not what God has intended for us as the church. God has not intended for us to be the most liked among everybody. He has not intended for us to have the luxury of, of, of being the ones that everyone always agrees with. He is telling us. He's telling him. He says, listen. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And neither will you if you follow me. There will be no comfort. There will be no rest in what you are asking for. He knew that his comfort could be his captor. That comfort was where he was busy. And if, if, if he is busy living in comforts, then even in his willingness to follow, he will miss his calling. You know, and for a lot of us, I believe we're just missing what God has for us because we're too settled to be uncomfortable. That we're afraid that someone will disagree with us. That we're afraid that, that we won't be the most liked. That we'll be afraid that certain, you know, doing this particular ministry or putting myself out there will take something from me. Or it'll make me uncomfortable. Or that'll, it'll, it'll withhold from me. But I love how Jesus just faces this head on. You know, and even, even to this idea that the work doesn't rest, that, it, that, that the Christian life isn't like our jobs. You know, like when we clock out, we're done for most of us. But Jesus is very clear. Listen, the Christian life has no dock. It never parks itself, and there's no completion. Jesus had done a bunch of miracles, and, and the glamour of it could have been the motive of the scribe. I'm not sure, but, you know, Jesus just doesn't say... What he needs to say to draw this man in, he's honest, and he makes the cost clear. That it's going to cost you some comfort. And that if you're busy with comfort, you'll miss the calling that I have for you. You know, being a Christian is a life of adjusting, ever-moving this calling that's always changing with, you know, as culture changes, we got to change. we got to just be ready to navigate it and, and to deal with our kids and, you know, and, and to, to lead people, to encourage people, to draw people in, to minister to people. 
You know, it's, it's a life that's ever-changing. You know, and I've learned that even with raising kids. You know, uh, there's new, new difficulties. There's new, there's new struggles. There's new work to be done with every stage of life. And that as a Christian, we have to constantly be on the move. It's almost like a soldier on the battlefield. The moment we stop and we sit still as a Christian, we become vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. It's a constant movement. It's a constant adjustment. It's a constant learning. It's a constant growing, moving, uh, serving, experiencing. God has never called us in our Christian life to be comfortable or to be complacent, just sitting and soaking. You know, uh, it, God, the, the last thing God wants from us as Christians to ever become, uh, uh, I heard somebody say this one time, to become pew potatoes, that we just come and we just sit and we soak. Man, God has got so much more for us than to just sit in our comforts to be busy with our comforts. The second thing is that we can become busy with duties, that we can become busy with duties. Luke chapter 9, verse 59 says to another, this is Jesus speaking now, he says to another, he said, follow me. But the man said, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Verse 60, and Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. You know, we, we know by filling in the gaps in Matthew chapter 8 that this person was a disciple. In Matthew chapter 8, it say that, a deci- that he said to a disciple. And so we know that a disciple is someone who is learning from someone. They have placed themselves underneath someone. They've called someone their rabbi, their leader, uh, their, their teacher. And so what has happened in this moment is that Jesus is calling out to someone who would call themselves a disciple of Jesus. And he's telling him, follow me. You know, and I think that's interesting. For a lot of us, we probably would have looked at this person and said, well, he's already following you. But Jesus knew something deeper. Jesus knew something that this man was missing. That, yeah, he had been sitting under teaching. He had heard a lot of things, but there was a deeper step to be taken. And that's what Jesus was inviting him into. Jesus was inviting him into a deeper step. And I think this is where a lot of us may be. And what we'll see from this man is that this man uh, says that he has a task that he needs to to accomplish first. You know, and he says, he says, uh, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. You know, the thing that we have to understand about this is that if this man's father was already dead, he would not be here. And so a lot of times we read that, and I think people automatically assume, well, well, golly, Jesus didn't want him to go and, like, be at his dad's funeral and take care of all those things. That's not it. We have, it's very likely that this, this exclamation or this proclamation of this task that he has to do is a task with an indefinite time frame. That he says that I need to go and I need to bury my father. He's not saying I need to go and put my father into the grave. No, he's saying I need to go. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to take care of him. You know, I, just, I got some things I need to do. Let me go, first go take care of that. You know, so let's not think that Jesus is being insensitive to the needs of this family. No, Jesus is seeing far beyond what he's saying. Jesus sees a disciple who has been hearing many, many, many teachings of his, but has neglected to take a deeper step to truly follow him. You know, because what Jesus knew is that for this man, he would have gone to this task that had an indefinite time frame that it would have led from one duty to another duty and it would have been wave after wave after wave of tasks 
That he would have been, well, first, let me go do this. Well, first, let me go take care of this. Well, first, let me get this in order. Let me get that in order. Let me get this in line. He wanted to truly follow Jesus, but his statement says this, not yet. How many of us are saying that in our lives today? Jesus, I want to follow you with everything, just not yet. There's still some things I need to do. There's still some things I need to accomplish. There's still some tasks that I need to take care of. You know, there are duties competing with our relationship with God that may not be wrong, and that's the thing we have to understand. There are tasks, there are things, there are activities that we're doing in our lives that may not be wrong. This task that he says that he wants to go do is not wrong. In reality, it's probably part of his obligation to his family to go and to take care of them. But remember, Jesus is speaking of something bigger than just this moment, almost in a, in a hyperbole, kind of an exaggerated way, you know, because he tells him, you know, this isn't a choice between right or wrong. It's a choice between right and right. But there will always be an excuse. There will always be a good excuse. There will always be a good task that can take the place of doing the work that God's called us to do. There will always be that thing that we could say, well, I mean, I... I, I could do this, but I have something I need to do. Or, or we, we, we come into our lives, step into our lives with so much going on. And like I said, there, there are these tasks, these things in our life that are good things. You know, and the, 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 the thing I think of the most is just in regards to our kids. There are things that we let our kids be involved in. There are kid, things that we do with our kids. There's, there's way we tr- ways we try to satisfy our kids, make our kids happy, and enjoy our kids. But in reality, even in some of those good things, they could be busyness that is keeping us from discipleship. They could be busyness that is keeping us from going, growing in our relationship with the Lord. You know, because what it is keeping him from and what we see here in, in verse 60, Jesus tells him, he says, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Because what Jesus is making known here is instead of infiltrating this task or this duty, he is acknowledging that he is spectating. God is spectating in our lives. When we push him out because we're busy with duties and we're busy with tasks, but we're not acknowledging him, we're not leaning into him. You know, the reason, the reason we never tame busyness that binds us is because we are unwilling to get rid of anything in our lives. We are unwilling to let some things go. We're almost like schedule hoarders. We want to cram as many things into our schedule as we can. We want to be busy. We want to be just running from here to there, from one place to the other where we're playing catch up and we're constantly just trying to 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 find a place to just uh you know just put ourselves and just to be busy you know and and with all that is available to us today we can wake up and realize that we were busier than we ever have been but no deeper in the things of God than we were years ago our busyness it, with tasks and with things that we've entered into our schedule can keep us for years and years and years from missing out on the growth and experience that God has for us because busyness is like a drug. Busyness is like a drug. If we're honest, it makes us feel important. It makes us feel needed. It makes us feel like we're accomplishing something. When we are just running from one thing to the other, we would act like we hate it, but in reality, we love it. We love every bit of how it makes us feel when we're busy, when we just have so many different things going on, and like a drug, it can numb us to what is most important. We're running from task to task. 
And then the third thing that we can be busy with is busy with distractions. Verse 61, and yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. I love how this one is similar to the last, but it's a little more generic. It, which is why I believe this is more of just a distraction. This is more of just something in his mind, something in his life that he's looking back on, something in their life that they're just referencing back to. You know, and, and the thing about it is that God is not afraid for us to lean into those things that are important to us, our home. I mean, we can see that in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 20, when Elijah went to Elijah and, wanted, and passed the man on for him to be the prophet. Elijah said this. He said, and, and, uh, and he left uh, the oxen ram after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And what did Elijah say? He said, for what have I done to you? Go. But Elijah knew what Elijah's heart was, is that he was going to do this task and come back. And I believe why Jesus is saying this to this individual is because he understands that in this distraction, he may not come back. That if he, if he leans into this distraction in his life, he may not come back to this place where Jesus has invited him into, where Jesus has for him to experience. Jesus knew the heart of this individual, and the distraction could draw him away. If he left, he may not come back, and it would give him an excuse. You know, and once we remove ourselves from the influence, we begin to forget what we've experienced. When we remove ourselves from the influence, we begin to forget what we've experienced. And I, we, I, we see that, you know, not that being in this building or, or makes us a Christian, not that being in this building gets us any closer to God. But if we make enough excuses not to come and to gather and to hear God's word, church, when we've removed ourselves from the influence, we will forget what we've experienced. We will forget what God is doing with us. We'll forget what he's shown us. We'll forget the progress that he's made in us, the things that he saved us from. You know, I love this quote from John Owen. He said this, he said, and as men's diversions increase from the world, so do their entanglements from Satan. When they have more to do in the world than they can well manage, they shall have more to do from Satan than they can well withstand. You know, when Jesus says in verse 62, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, he's warning him against looking back. And what that's evidence of is it's evidence that he has not completely let go of something in the world. That there is still something in this world. With this, it seems as if it's some type of relationship that he's clung to. You know, but for any of us, it could be any number of things that the world has put before us that we're still looking back to. We're still looking back to as a major part of our life, as some type of comfort, as some kind of crutch, as some type of thing in our life that we, that we keep looking at, we're looking back to, that we're afraid to separate from. You know, in any time that, that the Bible speaks about not looking back or, or looking forward, I always reference back to Lot and his wife in Genesis 19, 26, when they're fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angel tells them not to look back. And then in that moment, Lot's wife looks back, and the Bible tells us she turned into a pillar of salt. You know, and, and 
what we have to understand about that story is that she did not turn into a pillar of salt simply because she looked back to spectate on what was going on. I truly believe that she turned into that pillar of salt because she looked back pining for what was behind her. She wanted what was behind her more than what was in front of her. She wanted those things that even if they were wicked and ungodly, they were comfortable. Even if it was the wrong place at the wrong time, it was where it was home. It was what felt comfortable. It was what was, it was, what was keeping her uh, locked in and it was within that distraction that she was frozen in that spot you know and and I love the illustration of, a, of, of the person putting his hand or her hand to the plow you know because I don't know about you but if you've ever tried to do any task walking forward by looking behind you it's not going to be a pretty picture right you know, I don't, I don't mow my yard looking behind me while I'm driving forward. It's guaranteed I'm going to hit my house or run over a kid. You know, and you think about the, the plowman pushing the plow, looking behind him, how crooked, how off is that row going to be? How uh, messed up is the task that they had at hand? How messed up is it going to be? How much will they truly have accomplished? How slow will the process be? You know, when people are running track, people, they always tell them, well, don't look back because when you look back, it slows you down. My, my boy's playing baseball. I said, don't ever watch the ball. Run forward. Keep your head straight. Run because you're going to move quicker. The moment we look away is the moment we slow down the moment we get off track, the moment we get redirected from the task that we have at hand. And so Jesus is speaking to this man and he says, look, if you look back, after you've put your hand to the power, look back, it's not fit for the kingdom of God because that work is going to be broken. What you're doing is going to be uh, offset. It's not going to accomplish the task that you're wanting to be a part of. Looking back leads to drawing back craving it, missing it. Lesser things, things that not, aren't progressing us forward in our walk with the Lord and like Lot's wife, freezing us up in where we are, keeping us from progressing forward and like the plowman, making us wander off course. As I love Paul in Philippians 3.13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. You know, I love that. That even in this call that we need to understand, God has called us to move forward. And Paul acknowledging that here shortly, but he says, I love, he says, not that I have considered that I have made it my own. I have not made it. I have not accomplished it. I have not perfected it. That pursuing God is not this place of perfection. That pursuing God is not this place of always having it together. But then he continues and he says this, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead of me. That if Paul in his imperfections knew anything, he knew that what's behind me is not worth my time, that it's not helping me move forward, it's not helping me grow in my relationship or my work for God, that those things behind me are lesser things that have no value in my life, and I am going to leave those things behind. And so why does this matter this morning, church? I believe, like we said in the beginning, That unbridled busyness is an enemy to discipleship. But in the midst of all that, you know, we won't say no to comfort or certain duties or distractions until we say yes to Jesus. Until we say,
Christ is our satisfaction. Christ is our purpose. Christ is our intention. We will never put away the crazy, busy world that we live in. You know, and like I said, this isn't getting rid of tasks. This is just not letting those tasks or those duties rule us. This is not letting those tasks or those duties or that comfort control us, lead us in ways that draw us away from God. We will never be able to put away a crazy, busy world until Christ is our everything. Because otherwise, we're going to find everything and everything else. What it does in the midst of our duties, when we acknowledge Christ, listen, when we acknowledge Christ in the midst of our task, what it does is it gives us direction. In the midst of our duties, it gives us direction. So that in our busyness, because we will be busy, there's no avoiding it. We, there will be busyness that we will experience. But it's in the midst of that busyness, gaining direction from the Lord in it. That no day is wasted. That no activity is wasted. That no moment is wasted. That my relationship with God isn't neglected. That my wife isn't neglected. That my kids aren't neglected. That my uh, evangelistic responsibilities aren't neglected. That in the midst of that, that we would follow what Jesus tells the man in verse 60 when he says, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That even in the midst of your work, go and do something in it. Don't make it wasted. Don't make it empty. Don't make it just a duty. Don't make it just a task. Don't make it just a distraction. Don't make it just a comfort. Add some value to it. Acknowledge Christ in the midst of that. Because there is a work to be done, church. There is a work to be done. And if we are too busy to do it, then it, we, there will be people in our lives that will miss out on it. Luke 10, verse 2. Right after this. He says, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. There is a work to be done in our families, our kids, our spouses, our friends, our workplace. There is a work to be done. John 4, 35, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. There is so much to be done. And what does it cost to follow Jesus? It costs the busyness that is drawing us away. Giving that up. Maybe cutting some things out of our schedule. Maybe acknowledging some things that are cramming into our minds and in our lives or just getting in the way and being honest about those things. Remember, this isn't, this isn't a battle against right and wrong. This is a battle against some things that are right and seem right. But if those very things are drawing us away from the Lord, then they are the wrong things. So how do we get busy with the right things? And I think it's this. Just There's no magic formula for it, church, but I think it's this. That we would not allow busyness to bully us and that we would not let it run or rule us. And I think it's these two things, and then I'll be done. That you would evaluate our time. What is costing us spiritually? What is, what is requiring us to trade off? Whether we do this or we pursue the Lord mentally or physically. You know, what is costing us spiritually? And then the second thing is that we would carry Christ into all things. That we would be bringing Christ into everyday duties, everyday activities, in our commutes, in our activities with our kids, and the things that they're involved in. That we would be acknowledging him in the midst of it. That we would be making uh, mention of him at any cost, at any moment that we can. 
finding true purpose and kingdom influence in every day task. It's within that church that we would now not allow busyness to be our burden or to bind us. I pray that we would do that this morning. So let's bow our heads. And, and my, uh, my challenge to you this morning is as, as I pray and as we leave out today that, that we would acknowledge, that you would be honest and acknowledge, God, I've, I've been too busy for you. That there are so many things that I've allowed to hoard into my schedule, into my mind, into my just thoughts. God, that there, I have not left any space for you. Let's pray, Father, just, Lord, help us to see those things in our life. God, if there are duties, if there are tasks that we need to let go of, God, give us the strength and confidence to let them go. God, if there are things that we can't let go but we're in the midst of them, God, give us the strength and and foresight and the, the willpower in the midst of those things to consider you. God, to see those things as opportunities to share you, to go and proclaim the kingdom of God like you told the disciple. God, I think so many of us here this morning are disciples, church. God, I know there's no doubt, but for many of us, I believe we're lacking a step, a deeper step to you, a deeper step in your love, a deeper step in your work for us, God. Maybe it's in ministry. Maybe it's in ministering to our kids or our spouses. Father God, help us to know that you're not calling us to do these things in your own strength. God, that the work that God, Jesus was calling these individuals to was not a work that was going to be done in their own strength, but a work that you were doing. God, you were just inviting them to be a part of it. Father God, I pray that we would do that this morning. God, challenge us and convict us of the things that have been too busy. Lord, in our hearts and our minds, God, the things that have been taken away from what you have for us. Father God, let us control our busyness and not let our busyness control us. God, let us have a hold of it. Let us allow you to be in the midst of it. God, let us consider you daily. Let us be in your word. Let us be praying for each other. Let us be serving each other. God, let who you are and what you do be in our day to day. God, and never let us too busy to let that happen. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.